You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. Well, I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble on the drum and kick all trouble out the door beat me that rhythm on the drum beat me that rhythm on the drum beat me that rhythm on the drum and kick all trouble out the door kick him 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 out the door well here we are, Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. I was going to take Margaret Road Knight's advice, although Kelly, the producer, Kelly Whitworth, has told me I can't do it. I was going to kick our guest, Peter Redgum Roberts, out of the studio. And I said, why can't I do it? And she said, he's on the telephone, stupid. <laughs> <sighs> I hope he's on the telephone because I haven't been in this studio for bloody yonks. Yeah, we could see that. We could see that as you're running around like a chook without a bloody oh, head. I wasn't. I wasn't. I was pretty cool and calm and collected about it. Yeah, but tell them exactly who's mama behind you. Mama was looking after you. Oh, we had um, Susie and um, Kate from yeah. uh, Lazy Wednesday. Yeah, Kate hang, hung around and looked she after you. She handballed it to yes. me. Yeah, she taught you all the things, told you what to... Uh... Now, Peter, you're not supposed to interrupt. I heard your voice there in the background. Now, Kelly Whitworth, I've decided we don't do Snowtown jokes anymore. It's not, right. it's not appropriate. That sounds good. Especially if somebody you've met in the past. It's not a good thing. They may get ideas. Now, we've got a barrel full of uh, salted anchovies. You've put your hand in and what have you pulled out? Who have you pulled out? I've pulled out... Peter Redgum Roberts. That's Hello. right. Um, we cannot uh, progress with this interview because you've been rude to the producer. Could you please say hello to Kelly? Thank you. Oh, my apologies, Kelly. Hello to you too. A big hello to you too. A big hello to men- you. And you've driven yeah, somewhere right. especially to speak on radio this Arvo. I have. My place reception ain't that crash hot. It isn't up in the ranges there in the mountains. You mountain boys and girls, I know what you get up to. Breeding mainly. (laughs) Now, Peter, I know you personally, so I should tell people that. And I don't know why I'm interviewing you, but we're going to do it. We're going to start at the beginning and we're going to finish at the end because I think you've got a fascinating story to tell the three listeners we have. Okay? So, now, Pierre, what I like about you, Peter, is I can actually pronounce your name, Peter Redgum Roberts. Now, where does this bloody Redgum come from? Are you a redhead or something? 
um, I think one of your listeners actually at one stage referred to me as Red Bum. Um, I had a bit of a chuckle at that. What, uh, well, you got hemorrhoids no, or something? No, no. You actually gave me that name, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that I have made you a star. A star on Talk Back with Attitude, Red Gum, the man who knows everything about the environment and climate. Well, I wouldn't say I know everything, but... Okay, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I mean, false modesty does not, is not important on this program. We want you to... It's about you. 56 minutes about you, Red Gum. So false modesty out the door. Now, where were you born? Uh, in Melbourne. At the Queen Victoria Hospital. Guess where I was this afternoon before I came here? At the remnants of the Queen Victoria Hospital, because you realise what happened to the Queen Victoria Hospital, don't you? Yes, it was demolished you a know, long no, no. time ago. More than demolished. It was privatised. Do you know oh, the origins of the Queen Victoria Hospital? Kelly does, because I've taken her down there. Do you know? I've even done a YouTube presentation. Do you know the origins of the Queen Victoria Hospital? Honestly, I do not. Uh, I think I every listener should understand this and know this. In the when marvelous Melbourne became desolate, desperate, depression Melbourne in the eighteen nineties, uh, many uh, women were forced into prostitution to survive. Now, obviously, in those days, where nobody talked about uh, contraception and there was very little contraception available, unwanted children were a product of that era. And it was not unusual for uh, women to have children, uh, you know, under trees and chuck them in the Yarra. Now, Velda Goldstein, who the electorate of Goldstein is named after, there's a little bit of a battle there at the minute between independent Zoe Daniels and uh, I think it's Mr Wilson, the IPA boy. But what happened is Velda Goldstein took on the case of this woman who threw her baby in the Yarra. The, The baby was rescued. And it became obvious there was a huge social issue regarding unwanted children, unwanted pregnancies. And the women of Victoria donated, were asked to donate a penny to the establishment of the first women's hospital in this state. That was the Queen Victoria Hospital. So in the, eight, in the 1980s, when John Kane Jr. privatised the Queen Victoria Hospital, there was a bit of an uproar. And they left the tower at the front as a as a um, feminist centre. But it's one of the great travesties of the uh, 20th century. The fact that a, a hospital which was built from the pennies of working class women to look after women and children, the first one in Victoria, as a result of the social issues, was demolished and made into a shopping centre. Isn't life grand, Peter? And that would be Daimaru, I suspect. No, 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 no. It's not Daimaru. It's a whole complex of shops. You've got Big W, Kmart, Harvey Norman, you name them, many restaurants. It's called QV. QV. Thank you. Kelly, that's why Kelly's the world's greatest. I'm just saying, this is the problem with a lot of Australians. We have no understanding of our history, so we don't know where we're going. But obviously, you were born at the Queen Vic Hospital. and Are your parents still alive? No. They uh, are both past. Right, so we can actually say things you wouldn't normally say on air. <laughs> what were they like as parents? Absolutely terrific. Unfortunately, my father um, went the way of 
alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, but he was not a violent man at all, mm-hmm. at all. Um, my mother took over the reins and basically brought us up. So, um, yeah, uh, terrific, terrific parents, the both of them. Um, and alcoholism took over my father's life. Mm. Uh, in the end, he was on methane boot polish. Right. Um, was he living at home then, or he was basically homeless by then? And... No, no, Mum stuck with him all the way. Right. She um, looked after him until um, the morning of his death. And how old was he when he died? 51. 51. Have you got any idea of his background and what would have driven him to uh, that situation? Not sure, Joe. Mm. Not sure. He um, he was a he trained as a draftsman mm-hmm. and was at was a terrific artist. And I've got a number of his um, paintings at my place, which Mum framed, um, and they are exceptionally good. Mm. Um, and even in his uh, inebriated state. Um, in the latter years, he would still go down the pub and sell his artwork to fund his habit. Right, right. So what was his name? His name was Arthur. Arthur. And you've got any idea of his uh, background, his, his origins? and his, his? Did you ever meet your grandparents? Unfortunately, I didn't meet my grandparents. Both had passed on long before I came into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I never met the grandparents on both sides. They'd both passed on before um, I came into the world. But, um, no, I don't, don't know much of my father's origins. I know my grandmother came from Tasmania, um, and I'm not sure, but I think my grandfather on my father's side came from New Zealand, although I can't find a lot of that information out. Right. And uh, what was your mum's name? Mum's name was Wilma. And what type of mum was she? Oh, um, just terrific. Cannot speak highly enough of her. She she shaped who I was, or who I am. Um, yeah, she um, she basically lifted us up and raised us. Mm, how many of you were there? You keep using the word us. Have you got brothers and sisters? Oh, my brother and myself. Right, right. Yes. So it wouldn't wouldn't have been easy, would because there wouldn't have she, was she working. Too, or was she just working in the house as well as no, outside? No, she was, she was holding down a job with Royal District Nursing Service. Mm-hmm. At, um, in, the, in the latter part of her working life, she was a unit manager at Royal District Nursing Service, but she started as in secretarial work. Mm. Uh, and she was essentially holding the house together. It was literally falling apart. Right. It's, there's, another, there's another institution that's disappeared that's been yes. privatised, the Royal District Nursing Service, over 100 years of service. And I think three years ago, uh, the contract, uh, they were sold to a Queensland company, which now provides these services, another corporation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tragedy, really. All these well-known names in the health industry that have been privatised, and we think yes. we've got a public system. So where'd you go? Uh, what? Oh no! I think I'll ask you a question I should have asked you ages ago. What's your first memory about pe- being on planet Earth? Um, my parents. I was trying. I listened to a number of your programs the other night, and I was trying to reflect on that very question. And it, it's it's an odd question, and it's an odd answer that I'm going to give you. But my parents gave us a set of blocks, 
of wooden blocks that we were able to, and there was a lot of them, and we were able to build things and play with things, and they're all coloured. Um, and up until recently, we I think, I'm not sure if my brother's still got them or not, but um, we used to play with them for hours, uh, and they were terrific fun uh, for us. We were quite, um, we didn't have a lot. So um, these, these blocks, and as I, in latter years, uh, came to understand these blocks were actually made of western red cedar. I actually um, mm. did a little bit of uh, research into them and the, the wood that the, the blocks are made of, you wouldn't find them now. So you remember uh, yeah. playing... So is your brother older or younger? No, he's, he, he, my brother's younger. How come he's got the blocks? What's going on here? <laughs> did he steal them off you? I mean, you're the older brother. You no, should have no, the blocks. No, no my, um, they were at mum's place for... for when she all for all of her living years, and um, my my kids and his kids played with them, as we still played with them with the kids, um, and uh, yeah, they were a terrific source of entertainment for both my brother and myself and both our sets of kids. So they were the vir- they were the social media and virtual world of your world, basically, weren't they? Yeah. These coloured blocks. They didn't yeah. seem to have done you any harm, did they? No, they didn't. They were, they were, we made all sorts of things out of them, we, mm. and we we had all sorts of fun with them for hours. Now, hang on, hang on. Don't tell me, as a kid, you used your imagination. I mean, we, <laughs> I mean, you used your imagination to entertain yourself. That's extraordinary. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, yes. I despair. I must sound like an old fogey. Despair of today's kids the entertainment is all there all you got to do is look at it yes yes mm. and if they actually have to entertain themselves they're bored well they are because they don't know how to do it yeah, yeah, yeah but we no, sound like exactly. old fogies you know what year were you born uh 1966 uh, you're a relative youngster not even yes. not even 60 no not no, yet not yet but... sometimes i feel like it but no not yet well if you're lucky you'll get to it so, yeah, did religion play any part in your life, in your early life? Oh, of course, yes. Of course. Well, tell us about it. <laughs> All right. Um, went to Sunday school. It was a, um, what is the Uniting Church now? Mm. Uh, was a Presbyterian church um, in the early days. And we'd get, <laughs> I've got, I, I cringe at the photos now, but. We look back at them and, and you dress up to go to Sunday school. Well, looking back at it, what an absolute and utter waste of time. Um, we could have put our energies into so much better things than going to Sunday school. Now, now, can, um, can, 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 I, can I kind of get a, 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 a virtual picture here? Uh, yes. Short pants, black, yes. pressed white shirt. No. What no, do you mean, no? no. no. Is this a bit radical? No, no, it socks up to my knees. Yep, yep. I had uh, shorts that had all these cars on it, um, and sometimes I'd wear a uh, skivvy. Um, with no a, wonder a you turned top. out like you did, mate. I mean, you know, you weren't paying attention at Sunday school, were you? Oh, never did and never would now, and I wouldn't encourage my kids to either. Oh, God, <laughs> a hotbed of atheism, the old place. Now, where did you go to primary school? I went to primary school, um, state primary school, at a school by the name of Aberfeldy Primary School in West Essendon. 
West Essendon. It's good to know that there was, yeah. even then there were these divisions. In those yeah. days it was basically based on, you know, tribal grounds. Now it's based on uh, economic grounds, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. West Essendon. Yes. So, so yeah. obviously at, at primary school you were a brilliant student. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, nothing could be further from the truth. My report card always had on it, Peter could do better. Could um, do better. What's going not on? Not applying himself. Um, what's yeah. going on here, Peter? Could do better. What, what's going on? Didn't you, didn't you uh, concentrate? I was not a very good student at all. Yeah, but why? Um, possibly to do with the teaching environment. Possibly because I wasn't um, a quick learner. Um, it could have been a number of factors. The other one I do know, I missed out on phonetics in grade one, so I was never a very good speller. Um, mm. Yeah. How come you missed out on phonetics? Oh, well, the class size back then, as I look at my grade one photos, we had 40. That's right. Class. Yeah, that'd be about right. We had about 50, but I was 15 years earlier. Yeah, look, yeah, what's wrong with a big class size that Dumb kids are put at the back, the bright kids at the front, and the dumb kids look after themselves. Isn't that the way it works? That's exactly the way it works. The teacher just did not have enough resources or time to get around to everyone in the class. Yeah, yeah, that's the great thing. The best education money can buy. So obviously your parents didn't have the uh, resources, resources to send you to a private little primary school, did they? Quite frankly, Joe, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I went to a state uh, primary school. Mm. I look at those kids and I think you lead such a sheltered life and you've got such a sheltered view on life. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. But they do have classes these days about interacting with the disadvantaged section of the community. You know that. And they give scholarships to disadvantaged students and they steal the brightest from the state sector and, you know, put him into, you know, private schools and inculcate them with the private school mentality. Have you noticed it? Yes, and the other thing too is if these kids have got brains, they'll remember where they've come from. Um, oh, most people don't. Remember. Peter, Peter, my greatest chagrin in life is most of the people I know who came through the state school sector, and, I, and I'm a product of the state school sector, primary, secondary, university, yep. is... Most people, once they get on the escalator of uh, advancement, they forget where they come from. Yes, I know. It's a huge issue today. I mean, yesterday's radicals, you know, the 60s and 70s, are today's Liberal National Party voters and supporters, you know, clutching their superannuation to their chest. Now, getting back to your life, so obviously if you're a dumb student, you're a brilliant sports person. No, I was neither. (laughs) (laughs) Pardon me I never excelled at sport at school But I did when I left school I actually um... Uh, uh, We'll get to that in a minute I mean there's not many highlights in your life So I need to spread them apart Peter Okay Okay. I think your life is as boring as mine Now getting back Getting back Getting back So obviously uh, You weren't the last kid picked When they were picking the cricket team down at the Oval Were you? I was hiding somewhere because I didn't want to go into the cricket team. Oh, um, how about the AFL team? And I never team? went... <laughs> football, cricket, no matter what it was, I didn't want to do it. Um, 
Yeah. So you, I was, you know, I was, you know what they describe you as today? A dropout? No. <laughs> there's a new term which has been incorporated in the Bible of psychiatric disorders. Go yeah. on. Yes, and I've got to get this correct because obviously somebody will correct me. It's called authority defiance syndrome. You sound like the perfect (laughs) picture book picture of a little brat in primary school who defies authority. Yes, although I didn't know it at the time. I just dug my heels and I didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to do it. But that was... uh, that was a lot of stuff in my life back All right. then. Okay. All right. Well, these brilliant uh, beginnings. Obviously, you went to some type of secondary college somewhere, did you? I did, yes. I went to an uh, all-boys technical college. Ah, so even at the end of grade six, they decided you were not of ac- academic quality and they sent you to the Correct. tech college. Right. Yes. And was that a bit of a – where was that, uh, that was uh, Nidri Technical School. Oh, now, yes, I'm, I'm familiar with that school. Don't yes, ask me why, yes. but I am. <laughs> so, yes, yes. obviously, there you. Um, what stream they put you in? Um, I was quite good at English when I got there. Um, well, that's a waste, I, isn't it? You're going to a technical college and you're good at English. What's going on here? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But also, I towards the end of my days at um, Nidri Tech, I actually excelled um, in building practices, which is basically carpentry. Um, building practices. Yeah, it's called it building called. practices. Yes. The Americanization of the Australian vernacular. Building yeah, practices. Yeah. Everything's bigger than it is. So basically yeah, you, could hammer, you could hammer two pieces of wood together, could you? Yes, yeah, and, and do all these joints and... and um, Cut properly with a handsaw and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, look, I'm going to tell you a funny story. I was doing a bit of uh, work on the weekend with a hammer, and guess what I hit? My thumb. I've got, I've got, I've got this hematoma blood collection oh, now behind my left thumbnail. How's that? That's, that's how good I. That's how good I was at dental stuff. Well, I bet you it's singing to you now that thumb. Um, no, no, no. It's yeah. not, I, I put a hole in it. You drain the blood and oh, it's all okay. right. You know, just put a pin in it, oh, okay. drain the blood, and you don't have to sing to it. Now, getting back to oh. your little life, how long yep. did you last at Tech College? Well, um, I went all the way to year 11, mm. but at year 10, um, I would, and through year 9 and year 10, I would announce that I was not going to go to school um, and that I was going to wag it. Defiance, def- you know, authority defiance syndrome once again. Yes, and um, I, um, I, by year ten, the teachers had basically said, "Well, if you're not going to concentrate, we're going to kick you out." Right. Um, so, but I knuckled down and I got through year eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, in those days, there was no year twelve at my school. I would have had to have gone to Broadmeadows. Preston or Footscray, if mm. I wanted to continue Year 12 learning. Well, we um, wouldn't want I, to waste our teaching and our resources on you technical boys, you know, and, and yeah. give you a, a Year 12 education. You realise that? That was the thinking in those days. Yep, yep, absolutely. It was the, it was the t- thinking, uh, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. It's all about academia. Today it's all yeah. about trades. Those days it's all about getting a university degree. Stream yeah. them early. 
get them into the workforce. So, what happens at the end of year 11? Uh, well, I got through it. Um, however, nothing that I did at technical school basically set... I, I didn't apply myself, so I didn't get a trade. I didn't go on to do a profession. Um, <sighs> I went out and worked as a strapper. A strapper. You didn't work yes. for a madame, did you? Oh, no. no Not that no, type of strapper. strapper. <laughs> right. No, no, no. It's Could you explain to our listeners, because they've got a one-track mind, could you explain to our listeners what a strapper is and what a strapper does? It's uh, basically a lackey, someone who looks after um, horses for trainers, whether they being the trotting or pacing or galloping industry. But how did you fall into that? Uh, I did work experience in year 10 and thought, oh, yeah, this looked pretty good. Uh-huh. I um, I thought to myself, I, I was actually lucky enough to find someone who could place me in a job. Uh, obviously, you could place anyone in a job doing a, a strapping job. It wasn't that difficult. Um, the mornings were early. Um, How early? Oh, during my work experience, I was up at 2am. Oh, and I. I got on my bike and pedalled down to Ascot Vale, knocked yep. um, out boxes, mm-hmm. um, took horses to Flemington, mm-hmm. um, and then at the age of 17, I got a, a paying job, all of $67.70 for six days' work, 10-hour days. And what year was this? That would have been 1984. You realise the benefit of that type of work. It meant... You went home stinking of horse shit. That keeps that keeps that keeps you know your um, to be partners away. So it saved you from the sins of the flesh. You understand that? Well, I probably saved myself from the sins of the flesh because I didn't shower for a week on end every week. Oh, that's what I'm saying. You smelled a horse shit. Oh, look, this doesn't sound. Oh, look, we're halfway through the bloody interview. We've got nowhere for your life. So, what happens next? Come on. Oh, crikey. Um, I had, I've had so many jobs, Joe, it's not funny. I've, um, name a few. Just name a few. All right. The best job I ever had, I was a shutter in the Melbourne Yard. Um, oh, that is a good for, job. I've heard. I've had people. I know people have been shutters in the Melbourne Yards. That was a very good job. Very well, strongly unionised shop. Yes. I was in the uh, shutter section of the ARU. Yep. Um, we had some terrific moments. They were, uh, they were good days. Um, there were some ordinary nights too. I used to do all the shift. Um, and, uh, yeah, the shutter section of the ARU were um, as, as good as it gets in terms of uh, looking after their workers. Exactly, yeah. So what happened there? Did they shut down your, your job or what happened? Did no, you... I was... I was um, at a time, I really wanted to get over to what they call loco, which is locomotive driving. Mm. Um, I got my guards brief. Um which was a step in the right direction. But it was at the time that the um, the guards were coming off the back of the trains and going up to the front of the trains as uh, what they call second persons mm-hmm. and uh, assisting the drivers. And then they would stick what they call a skinny guard on the back of the train, which is basically a flashing light. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, and um, I think then some of those second persons that were guards actually did become drivers. Right. And me as a shunter had absolutely no hope of getting over to Loco, so I cracked the shits and right. left. 
So, so when did you get? When did your love affair? No, not with your current partner. But when did your love affair with the environment and the forest begin? That was my mother's doing when I was thirteen. Oh, you always, you always blame your mother, don't you? Poor thing. <laughs> she raised you, alcoholic father. She raised you and your brother. She worked all her life, and you blame her for your love for the environment. What did she do? Oh, look, I was not a kid who liked footy or cricket at all. Mm-hmm. My mother uh, took me along to a bushwalking club, introduced me to people and the bushwalking club, and for decades I had a pack on my back and I've walked all over southeastern Australia. What? You walked? Yes, I've. I, by 14, I'd climbed Victoria's highest peak, and by 15, I'd been up into the snowy mountains onto the highest peaks in the snowies. Yeah, this is so, this is in between wagging at a tech college, was it? Yeah, absolutely. This <laughs> <is> weekend. <laughs> I could ask you questions, but I'm not going to. So what? You've got a love for the natural environment? Well, you know that, Joe. Well, hey, hey, hey. There are millions of people listening to this interview, which is going to be podcast on 3cr.org.au. How'd you love that segue as I put that in? And the thing is, I may know you, they don't. That's the whole purpose of the interview, Redgown. Okay. Do I have to tell you everything? No, you don't. Oh, good. I'll tell them. All right. So so did this love of the environment lead to any uh, practical deeds? As you know, no, no, I don't know. People are listening. Don't talk to me. You're talking to thousands of people, possibly three, but possibly 3,000, all right? All right. I was not an A-grade student, as you have heard. Mm. Um, I had Buckley's of getting into forestry. I I had a mother who wrote letters to the what was the National Park Service back then. I still got those letters. Um, I still didn't have the grades for that, Um, so I waffled around down in the uh, lower echelons of working life. Basically, I swapped uh, different jobs. I've worked on a dairy farm. I've worked as a duty manager at a community centre. I've been a security guard. You'll laugh at this. I've actually... I got into the Army Reserve under stealth. Mm. Um, under stealth? What, I mean, <laughs> what do you mean? Who are you working for, the Chinese or the Russians? or the, Who are you working for under stealth? No, I have a medical condition, Joe, called congenital adrenal hypoplasia. Ooh, um, you didn't tell them, did you? No, I didn't tell them. Um, mm. And I present normally, and I got through the... Um, Physically you present normally. Psychologically, it's a different matter. You've got defiance. Oh, I've started. <laughs> <laughs> defiance syndrome. <laughs> yes. Um, and I got through the basic training, and at the last moment, I thought, because I... I'd, completed it successfully um i thought i'd blurt the fact that i had a medical condition well by the end of that day i was medically discharged and dumped so um no medals you got no medals (laughs) oh my goodness they just didn't want to know me after that now a little birdie i remember when we were having a picnic for public interest before corporate interests a little birdie there another little mate of yours who turned up you hadn't seen for decades kind of outed you as a mill worker, as a destroyer of forests. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah, no, I did work. After the King Lake fires, I was actually successful in getting a position. After I'd done the course, uh, understanding uh, how to use what they call a, lo- a portable mill, a portable Lucas mill, 
we did six months' worth of uh, training, and um, after that I got a certificate uh, in using a, a portable sawmill and got a bit of employment up at King Lake uh, under the guise of the community uh, cutting firewood for community purposes. So, right. um, yeah. That's, you still, you still got all your fingers? I've got every single one of them. You lucky boy. Lucky boy. So... Is that what kind of cemented your love for the forest? No, no, that was my bushwalking days earlier on. Right, um, right. Yes. Okay. In fact, um, when we, we're every house that I've bought or lived in, um, I've always there was a, a. I wanted to create a memoryscape um, of the places that I'd been, and the best way I could do that with the smells of some of the shrubs that I would. Uh, come into contact with whilst bushwalking. And every time I smelt those shrubs in my garden, it would take me to those places that I'd been. Yeah. So, uh, well, you accidentally yeah. hit on one of the most important uh, memory... Uh, what's, what would you call it? Memory uh, starters, whatever you want to call it, you know? Smell. Yep. You, yep. you know, you, you speak to people who've been in terrible situations. Maybe they've been uh, sexually abused, and they'll tell you it's the smell that brings it all back yep. again. Or are people being yeah. involved in a fire or some... It's the yep. sm- smells are extraordinarily powerful reminders as far as the memory is concerned and a very important part of post-traumatic stress disorders. Yeah. But you use it in a positive way. You know, you remember all the good things, not the bad things. Yes, yeah. And that goes for... I can remember the smell of the railways. I can remember the smell of school. Mm. Um, and those things turn me off those places. Um, in latter years, but um, yeah, they're very potent and they're very strong, and I use that in uh, in my um, expertise and knowledge in um, in all things environment. Right. So, when did you really, really not just the bushwalking days where you just looked around and jumped over snakes, but when did you really start seeing the political dimension? to the current environmental crisis and climate emergency? When my kids were born. Why? What's that got to do with it? Uh, The fact that uh, the environment is so intertwined in everything that that makes us and and we are, that if they don't have a proper environment to live, a proper um, landscape to live in, one that's been industrialised and polluted, then they're not going to have a good life in my book. You're kidding. I thought civilization was about concrete and steel. Uh, we came, we saw, we concreted. No. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> what's wrong with that? I mean, you, you uh, bloody tree huggers. I mean, well, what's, what are trees good for? They just stop development. Well, consider the eco-services and benefits they give us. They think the bloody Australia rides on the back of a sheep. Well, I would suggest that if we had no trees, we wouldn't be shearing sheep are looking after them because there wouldn't be much oxygen for us to breathe. Yeah, and we'd have to... Th- yeah. Oh, possibly, yeah. What do you mean? They've got something to do with oxygen? Well, all the other eco-services and benefits they provide, they humidify the atmosphere, they produce oxygen, they provide a, um, a uh, living scape for creatures, mm. um, they keep the atmospheric uh, water uh, on around our landscapes um, pumping from the earth into the atmosphere by evapotranspiration. There are many eco-services and benefits that trees, forests and bushlands provide. Um, and they say that Australia rides on the sheep's back. 
well, stop the sheep. Oh, I prefer not to, mate. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm not going to go down that path. Now, getting back, getting back to the uh, environment. So, what yes. practical ways have you become involved in uh, the environmental movement? Is it a, is it a personal uh, interaction, or is it greater than that? I based my life around it. But two things in my life that are important, my family and the environment. Um, I've, I've spent a number of years with Landcare um, and a number of years just by myself. Um, I'd go into the bush, I'd pull a few weeds. I'd, I learned how to propagate uh, trees at a young age. Um, back Again, back in those walking days, I learned how to propagate trees and how to extract seed. Um, this is all self-taught, I might add. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, 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 um, that love and respect, and I would say honouring, um, was born over time from, from those very early days when I was 13 years old. Right. It's unusual these days to find somebody who describes himself as self-educated. Obviously, in the past, there are a lot of people who weren't actually able to access education and became self-educated, just like our uh, Chifley, the uh, Prime Minister of Australia. I think he was an engine driver. It could have been Curtin. Yeah. Maybe I've got my Prime Ministers mixed up. I mean, these days we've just got prof- so-called professionals who go through the emotions of learning, you know, through these private institutions. So, I mean, you could have just sat back like your old man and just drunk yourself to death. You know, I mean, the type of jobs you did were physically hard. Obviously, it was difficult um, keeping your family together on a basic income. And um, why don't why don't you think you went down that path? As life went on, I sort of saw the depravity of our governing institutions, our corporate institutions. Um, and I, I sort of wanted to go my own way without interacting much with any of this sort of stuff. So I kind of, I did isolate myself a bit, um, but I, I sort of, at, at the same time, as I say that, I was on a learning curve. I was, I was um, interested in and in, inquisitive enough to look into why this tree grew here. Why this creek flowed there? Um, why was it cold at 5,000 feet and not at sea level? Um, that sort of stuff. So I, I, I learned by experiencing rather than sitting in front of a um, whiteboard or a computer screen mm-hmm. um, and um, slowly formulated views and understood dynamics of how our environment sort of ticks um, and... Now I can look at different landscapes and know why these trees are growing here, know why um, the soils are like they are, etc. So you're basically a product of the environment, not a product of the uh, education system. Oh, correct. Self-learning, self-reflection. Now I'm going to I'm going to change track here. Now I know you and your wife have been together a long time. Do you remember that first day, Peter? 
Yes, I do. I'm pleased you got an answer there. I was a bit worried you'd forgotten. It's funny how we always ask people to remember the first day, but what about the second day? <laughs> well, we don't want to go into that. Who knows? It may have been an attraction at first sight and they could both be in bed on the second day. we That's why I asked about the first day, all right? Not the first night, the first day. Kelly, you should know these things. <laughs> the first day, the first... My wife had seen me at a land care do in Seymour the year before, but that wasn't really an interaction. She locked eyes on me and said, who is this bloke? Anyway, my first real interaction with my wife, we'd signed up to do a course up at Mount Buller. It was a horticulture course, of which I didn't finish. Um, and the first thing that I remember and the first interaction I remember of my wife is she opened the door for me into the lodge that we were staying in. Uh, yeah, that's the way it should be, you know. You're, you're a... You got a modern partner, you know. She opened the door for you. You didn't open it for her. It's good to know these things. And uh, you've got a few kids, have you? I got two kids. Yeah. Look, how do they feel if they ever listen to this interview and realise what a crappy student you were? I assume you lock them up and you say, "Do your homework. Do your homework." I say to them, "Look, my <laughs> my son's got some brains." I said, listen, don't do what the old man did. I said, just do what you have to do, learn as much as you can whilst you're at school, and that'll be your ticket out of where we live now if you want to get to somewhere better. <laughs> so. so he's looking at the big city lights and you're looking at retirement in the regions, basically. Is that it? At the, well, that's the way it's shaping up. Yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? You know, the parents have a dream. They find that little block in the country, they labour, they work, the kids look at them and say, what the hell are you doing here? And then all of a sudden, they're gone. Yeah, well, my kids hated the place when we first got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they let me know too. This, uh-huh. this is up yeah. in, the, what, the Strathbogie somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, it's up, up the, the ranges. Up yeah. in the ranges, yeah. have you found, I know you used to live in the... Um, outer inner city, as I call it, because uh, when you first started ringing Talk Back with Attitude, you had a property there. Was it? Yep. How do you feel? How, does, how do you and your wife, I know the kids hate it, but how do your wife feel about moving to a place that you've sculptured, basically? You've sculptured with your bare hands. Um, do you know what? From Melbourne to where we are, I may as well have moved from Melbourne to Afghanistan. Right. Um, <laughs> Why? They're wearing burkas is where you are. No, no, no. But that's the cultural shift that I see with people. Um, and it really um, unsettles me a bit that, that, that between that 150 k's from where we were to where we are could be that different. Really? Um, it's that? Yes, yes. So have you found it difficult interacting with uh, the people around you because of different philosophical and cultural and viewpoints. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, it's very, very difficult to find uh, like-minded people. Um, mm. And I think um, there's a class of people up here that think they're a lot better than everyone else. Um, How come? Unfortunately, they don't. What, are these, are these the old squatters? you still got a bit of the old squatocracy up there. Oh, you bet there is. Um yeah, absolutely. Or some that like to 
as I say, um, live on a on the, the line of a poet, uh, dressed like they do in a particular film and act like they would in it too. So, um, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's sad. That's, that's sad. I thought just 150 k's from the CBD that things would be changing. I think they are, but not quick enough. Mm. Not in your lifetime. I know, not in my lifetime. Mm. I understand you are cultivating some... uh, I mean, all the plants you've got on the land, it's only a small block, was it about five acres, isn't it, or something like that? Uh, It's only only, uh, two and three quarter. Yeah, but everything you've replanted... Is, is all native to the area and that some of the neighbours were unhappy with it or something? No, no, the neighbours are <laughs> unhappy with my... The neighbours are unhappy with my burning. Um, yeah, because I, um, I taught myself the art of fire use um, down in um, Melbourne where we lived because back there I tore everything out of the garden, which wasn't native and that was pretty much all of it, and dedicated the uh, garden space that I had down there, the, the basalt plains flora. Um, and I thought, well, if I'm going to plant these grasses and herbs and sedges, then I've got to learn how to burn them. So um, because I've seen the product of councils planting um, grasses and sedges and all they do is senesce and die. Um, and they never look any good when you uh, chop them with a pair of um, shears. So I taught myself, I, I went through the whole process of um, getting a permit, uh, giving a copy of the permit to all the relevant bodies, and then I set about learning how to use fire in um, native plants. Mm-hmm. So what, you trans- uh, transferred the same skills to this uh, country block, did you? Absolutely, yes, yes. And well, Obviously uh, you're a fire bug, that's what your neighbours would have thought. This bloke's trying to burn us out. Good. Um, I, I, I could not give a rat's ring about their thoughts and um, and their uh, what they think of what I'm doing on my side of the fence. Uh, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing it for many, many years, and um, it's a terrific process. It really is. Um, undertaking, I can't call it a cultural burn because background. What I can call it, though, is an ecological burn. Yeah. So So you're telling me 60,000 years of land management by this country's First Nations people was actually the correct thing to do on the Australian continent? Do you think they would have been living here 60,000 years and not worked it out by that time? (laughs) I would suggest their their skills are so honed Hmm. and so exact that they know exactly what they were doing. Oh, I can't believe it. God, not only a bleeding heart, now you support First Nations people, the forests, you, you know, acknowledge there's a climate emergency. I don't know what's happening to the rural areas, the regional and rural areas. I mean, you're not in the you're not in the uh, Shepparton kind of electorate where there's a independent trying to wrest control from the National Party. Uh, not that independent, no. No. Independent here, yeah, no. No. Oh, well, that's fair enough. All right. So what are your plans for the future? Um, take each day as it comes. Take each have, day as it comes. Yes. No I plans. No plans. 
I'd never make plans because nothing ever bloody works out. <laughs> right. Well, it's a good it's a good way not to be disappointed is to actually not make plans. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, because you could be hit although, by. Yeah. Although we did build a little house on this block that we bought mm-hmm. back in 2014, mm-hmm. we did plan, we did stuff like that, and that's probably. But you know, the longest thing in my life is the marriage to my wife. There has been nothing longer. Um, well, how long have you been married? Twenty-one years. All right, all right. This is this is this is a leading question. Obviously, you led me up this garden path. What's yeah. the secret of successful relationship? We're all ears here. Um, gee whiz, I asked that of my elders before I got married. Um, and I think we just click quite well. There's a bit of quite a bit of give and take. That's got to be in the recipe as well. Um, yeah, give and take. And we're, um, we really do get on like a house on fire. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, it's an oh, unfortunate that's... analogy for where you live, you know that. <laughs> Before you know it, the council officer will be knocking on your door again. You know that, Redgar. Oh, yeah. You don't hey, use those I've analogies. Touch, I've been in touch with the fire officer here and he knows what I'm doing. So, All um, right, fair yeah. enough. All right, we won't go down that path now. So you're going to live from day to day. Yeah. Are you going to get another one of these paying jobs or have you decided you've had enough of that crap? Oh, look, if something comes my way and I think it's worthwhile, I'll, um, I am the opportunist. I will take it up, but it has to be worth my while and it has to be, there has to be quite a bit of symbiosis in it. Um, and symbiosis, I mean... I get something out of it, and they get something out of it. So oh, um, yeah. now I never do any research on on these interviews, but I do know something about you which I'm going to share with the audience, and uh, I just like to hear your reaction to this. Tell us about your love of cats. <laughs> oh dear! Um, look, as I've explained to people. Um, I have no problem with people having cats. They are wonderful pets. There is no doubt as far as they're concerned. What I look at is the damage and destruction that I have witnessed firsthand that they do to small invertebrates, frogs, lizards, snakes and uh, other small creatures. And that is my sole reason for um, trapping cats when I do. You trap cats. And how do you do that? Uh, I have a humane trap, right. which I uh, set, and then, um, yeah, if it's a domesticated cat, I then hand it on to the council, um, and then I've become pretty good at um, IDing um, uh, cats, uh, domesticated cats from feral cats, and if it's a feral cat, then I put it down humanely, and I put it down humanely, I've got a, uh, a bag that I use, and I put it over the gas pipe of the car. Now, I understand that's the reason you were driven out of your home in uh, Melbourne. Is that correct? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I remember no, one day not. you rang us up on Talkback and you were kind of boasting how many cats you'd caught in your backyard yeah. in the previous... Oh, look, it took me a while to understand why I was, catch- was catching so many, but the reason was is I had a neighbour who loved to chuck all his food out, the, out, out his door mm. and he would attract... All these birds, so the scent of birds, including uh, sulphur-crested cockatoos, was absolutely intense. 
So the cats were using my place as a highway to get to his place, basically. Um, uh, and, didn't you trap 25 yeah, in one week once? No, no, no. no um, nothing like I, that. Over, over a 17-year period, I caught 42. 42 um, in, in your little suburban backyard. Correct, mm. yes. All right. Well, I hope the cat lovers fancy a society isn't listening to this program, but obviously you do things in a humane fashion and uh, you've got your own philosophical reasons. So, now there may be one or two young people listening to this program. Have you got any advice for young listeners? Any life advice? You know, having all those experiences, all those jobs and all those uh, interactions during your life. Um, be mm. careful where you tread and... What, horse shit? You've you got to worry about horse shit? No, no. <laughs> just, you've got to listen to yourself and listen to how you feel about where you are and what you're doing. Right. Um, and also, if you'll find good like-minded people wherever you work. Um, don't be hostile, be friendly. Um... But, yeah, where employers and money is concerned, be very careful where you tread. Right. Um, so, well, you've been burned a few not, times. Oh, more than a few times, yeah. Mm. And um, what do you hope for yourself and uh, and your partner in the next few years? What type of comfortable retirement are you looking at? Just a quiet life. Right. Um, and, and growing old with health. Um and watching our, our kids um, progress through life uh, quietly and happily. Mm. And any plans for the, the block you're on now that you've built the house? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, trying to... As I, I said to someone, I want that little parcel of land to become as biologically strong and robust as I can possibly make it with all the knowledge that I've mustered over the years, and I'm trying to apply that now. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, uh, Mr. Peter Redgum Roberts. I think uh, the important thing I think the interview highlights is how different people come to positions in their lives in different ways. And obviously, you've always been a human being who's shown an intense interest in uh, your life and the environment and the things around you, culture, social interaction. So I'd like to thank you for coming on this uh on this program and I'd like to apologise if I've seemed a little bit harsh which I've never done before but I don't think I was unduly harsh with you Peter uh, You're fine Joe you're my friend and um, <laughs> can I just say to all those listeners out there vote one for Joe he, he needs it, he's a good man and he's, he's, he's absolutely in the right place so give him your vote for goodness sake well, um, what... don't listen to all the crap that's going on around you at the moment. All right. Redgum, Peter Redgum Roberts, thank you for being on Radical Australia and thank you for the three advertising. All the best to you, your wife and your children for the future. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks very much. <laughs> Yeah.
3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community-controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2022. 3CR, keep community strong. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.